Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Wolf Walkers. Wolf, wolf, hunt them far and yonder. Forest is brimming with wolves. It's my job to hunt them down, not yours. But we could hunt them together. Wolves, bears, dragons even. (laughs) (laughs) She's one of them wolf walkers. Wolf walkers? The ones that can talk to wolves with some wild magic. We can come out now. We can smell ya, you stick. You're a wolf walker. You're a wolf when you sleep. What? A girl when you're awake. <laughs> Robin! Something's happened to me. Yeah, I can see that. It's flipping great. You're a wolf now. Be a wolf! are getting smaller every day. These wolves, they're just beasts. Tonight we put an end to this. I promise your mother I'd keep you safe. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Wolf Walkers, and the story is as follows. A 17th century hunter has a change of heart when she travels to Ireland to wipe out the last pack of wolves. The film is starring Hunter Neefsey, Eva Whitaker, Sean Bean, Maria Doyle Kennedy, and Simon McBurney. It is directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, and written by Will Collins. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi everyone. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Cody Derricks. Hi. Ryan C. Showers. Hey, everybody. And Dan Bear. We're running with the wolves. Oh. We're just going to howl like a wolf there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're just going to do the whole podcast just like that. <laughs> I just need people to know I wasn't part of the howl. That wasn't me. <laughs> All right, everyone. So Wolf Walkers premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival earlier this fall, and it got quite a very, very strong reception. Uh, People will recognize Tom Moore for his other films, The Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea. He is a very, very talented filmmaker, this time partnering up with Ross Stewart to bring us what is not only one of the best animated films of the year, in my opinion, but one of the best films of the year in general. Wolf Walkers is currently streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Let's talk about it. Why don't we kick it off first with Nicole Ackman. What did you think of Wolf Walkers? So I watched Wolf Walkers with my whole family, and my mom and my teenage sister and I all absolutely fell in love with this movie. I think the visuals are absolutely gorgeous. They're so unique and not sort of the, I'd I'd say most animated films these days fall into one of maybe three types of animation. And this is something so completely different. It looks like a picture book come to life. So I would love it just for that alone. But the story is so beautiful and the way that it builds tension and kept me guessing and didn't go where I thought it would, uh, the way that it explores like English Irish tension um the way that like oliver cromwell is a character in this this is a film that was absolutely in every way made for me 
Uh, Josh Parv actually had said that he thought this was, would be one of my top movies of the year. And spoiler alert, it is. I think it is one of the most beautiful and touching movies I've watched in a long time. Okay. All right. Let's hear next from Dan Bear. So I did see this when I was covering TIFF way back when, and my immediate response was that I couldn't wait for it to be available to everyone because I just knew that a lot of people were going to love it. And it I'm so happy that it is getting the response that it has been getting from people because it really is just one of the, I think, just storytelling achievements of the year um it like nicole said it is constant it constantly zigs when you think it's gonna zag and it is gorgeously animated in a style that honestly like took me back to like a lot of things that i feel like i saw as a kid in school um like it just has this very like she was saying the storybook quality to the animation that feels like a total throwback and you know nothing else out there looks like this i watched it for a second time uh last night uh in preparation for this and i sort of had it on while i was do while my focus was split on other things and even when i wasn't paying 100 full attention there was a moment in the last act that like came on and I stopped me dead in my tracks and the tears just started welling up in my eyes. And I was like, God damn it. This movie is good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's hear next from Cody Derricks. So I'm a big fan of uh, animation as a medium growing up. Like I'm sure a lot of us did with uh, the Disney movies. Um, and that really carried over strongly into uh, adulthood. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but uh, this movie going in, I was pretty excited because I was, I'm, I'm a big fan of this uh, cartoon saloon studio. I really loved the breadwinner a few years ago. Uh, it had the misfortune to open the same year as Coco, but otherwise other than that, it would have been a totally worthy winner of animated feature. Uh, so I was really pumped for this one and it is so overwhelmingly beautiful <laughs> that it kind of makes every other animated movie look like hot garbage. Uh, and I truly mean overwhelmingly beautiful in that there were some times where I couldn't keep track of all the images I was seeing and what exactly they were conveying and how beautiful they were. Um, like everybody else is saying the story is really powerful and well told, but yeah, if nothing else, you could watch this on mute and it would still be a beautiful movie. I'm just really was blown away by every single frame of it. All right. Ryan C. Showers. Okay. Well, I found this to be, absolutely exquisite um like nicole was saying it's such a distinctive looking film the visual style the animation but also even like i would argue the score is very um very peculiar and um very of its own thing um and it the the plot is so well done it's so emotional and so earned um, and very compelling um, and just very original like i there uh, there were times i i actually couldn't really predict the plot as much as I thought I would be able to. Um, and, you know, I just felt like this film executed a fully formed idea and a concept that was able to stand on its own um, two feet in a very original way. Um, and, uh, you know, the the first hour uh, was so entertaining and it just kept moving and going and going. And then the climax started to happen and it just left me jaw dropped. And um, it just gutted emotionally. Uh, there's a lot of thematic concepts and imagery. I would love to, you know, go back and uh, see the film again because it just still needs to sink in. There's so much jam packed in here. Um, I, 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 it really uh, took me by surprise. All right, and Josh Parham. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I'm very happy to have correctly predicted your opinion on this, Nicole. That actually makes me so happy <laughs> to have been right about that, although I think it was relatively easy for me to call, but I'm still happy. <laughs> um, but overall, yeah, I would echo a lot of the sentiments that have already been said. It, I think it is just an objective fact of how much this movie just looks so beautiful. Like the animation exquisite doesn't even begin to describe it there are just moments in this that are just I, I was just like kind of amazed at how exquisite and beautiful they were and i just had a hard time even like really coming to a description of just how much i was enveloped by what i was seeing and i think 
it is in service to a really, really well thought out story that is very full of a lot of great character work in it. And yeah, it does take some routes that you don't fully expect. I think that there are maybe like one or two things in the story that I, I wasn't a huge fan of, but they're very like kind of minor and we'll get into them certainly. But overall, I still find this to be a really grand achievement and honestly, not just one of the best animated films of the year. I think that this is one of the best films of the year, period. All right. All right. I agree with what has been said so far. The animation in this is truly something remarkable. I mean, you know, I think we're so used nowadays to seeing CGI films uh, in this 3D animated sort of way that to see something that is 2D with very flat uh, surfaces in terms of like the, the shot composition and, uh, you know, utilizing if they do, I'm not sure what the techniques were in some cases, but computers to enhance some of the imagery, it, it just looks absolutely amazing. I saw this on my 4K television and the colors were just so vivid and the detail was, um, as mentioned before, so exquisite. And I really just felt so transported uh, to, you know, Ireland in 1650 and just swept up in this storybook fairy tale that spoke with such confidence to some very adult themes. And that's something that I, I really do want to hit upon in uh, this review here is that, you know, every now and then you go see an animated film and, you know, you, you clearly identify that it's made for kids. That's fine. They have their place and that's totally okay. And then something comes along where both kids and adults can get some level of enjoyment out of it. And I think that is where animation always peaks. And then, of course, you have the other end of the spectrum where it's like animation made for adults and it's like heavy or South Park humor or something like that. Uh, but, you know, that has its place too. But I do think that the unifying of adult content, children's content is where animation can truly transcend and become something really, really special. And that's exactly what I think Wolfwalkers is here is it's a little film that could in the sense that it's not made by the mouse house, it's made by the wolf house. And I think that it is a movie that because it is something that you can readily stream right now on Apple, if you have uh, an Apple TV, I'm sure, you know, that if it is readily accessible, you definitely should take the time to watch it because there is a lot to unpack with this one. Uh, so I actually kind of want to like jump off of that really quick here and uh, start off with the story itself and the way that the story unfolds, its structure, how it speaks to both kids and adults, as I mentioned before. I, I would like to start there if anyone has any thoughts. Um, yeah, so I'll I definitely want to start because I'm kind of fascinated with this story structure, how it how it slowly reveals the different layers of story that it's working with, I think is just so so incredible. And it, you know, it starts even right away with that that prologue that gets at the, you know, sort of fantasy horror elements of it. How awesome too for an animated film to have a prologue, by the way. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I stand any animated film with a prologue because it reminds me of like, you know, the best animated films that usually do have a prologue before we get to, it always reminds me of Beauty and the Beast. I'll just say it. I was like, you're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Beauty and the well, Beast. And there are like inspirational, like Beauty and the Beast isms about this that I oh, yeah. up on or at least that I identified for myself. Totally. There are. And I loved most of them, um, honestly, <laughs> but yeah, it starts with that, and it's like a surprisingly a little like violent for something that is supposedly a family film. Like there is the wolf scratching and blood drawn in that prologue, and like it lets you know right away, like that you know, yes, this is a family film, but it's it it's not going to be you know so wholesome as you may think. Like it, we're gonna we're dealing with real pain and stuff here, and. I, you know, that carries over to when it starts to get into the historical stuff with Oliver Cromwell and Lord Protector and all that. Um, like, this is deep shit for a, the children's film or a film that has children as one of its intended audience. And then there is this dialogue exchange between 
Robin and her father that I I really love and I loved it even more the second time through knowing where the movie ends up because it tells you what the story is about what you know what the story is ultimately about I think but I didn't catch it on first viewing and she says to him I'm not afraid and he said you've never even seen a wolf I'm still not afraid and her father says to her that's why I have to be afraid for you and there there are so many layers to just that one line her 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 age about her sex about you know everything that is kind of happening you know the fact that he is a single parent raising her um and you know the fact that the movie ultimately really does end up being about the relationship and bond between parents and children and how you know when that bond is strong, either side will do anything for the other. It's the, it's all right there, right in the beginning of the movie. Even after you think that it's going to be, you know, just about these, you know, two girls from very different worlds becoming friends, and it's got a, so much more up its sleeve than that. And I love it. I was just gonna say, I think it's funny that you know, Dan, you mentioned the layers, and there are so many aspects to this screenplay like obviously on its surface in some ways it's a simple story about sort of this age-old tale that we find in children's uh literature of sort of animal versus human but there's also all this stuff in there about single parenthood and about family and about friendship but then also about like the English control of Ireland at this time and about English politics at this time and about there's even bits that touch on sort of religion versus Celtic mythology. And there's also bits in here about sort of the role of women during, you know, 1650 when this is set. And I think it's crazy that they're able to pack all of these really mature themes into a story that is still something that I think a child, you know, could actually handle watching. And it's, they pack so much in and it is all accessible and none of it is just like, oh, we're just going to skim the surface. Like they actually delve into a lot of these things, like not super in depth, but in depth enough to make an impact. And it's very impressive because there are a lot of longer movies this year that try and fail to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking to the maturity that's been mentioned about it, um, the movie is violent, and it. Another thing about it is it doesn't shy away from that violence. Uh, when a character is struck or an arrow is lodged in a human being or whatever, anything like that, the animation style changes to reflect the visual reaction the characters are having to those violent stakes in a way that makes you as an audience member feel those same violent stakes and. It, I think that combined with the uh, the mature themes of like Nicole's mentioning the Celtic mythology and the politics of Ireland with English invasion at the time, all that is necessary, I think, to give the movie the weight that it wouldn't otherwise have if it was kind of just the mythical uh, fairy tale that it is kind of surrounded by. And something that I really love about all that exploration is that it feels like it's developed very naturally within the story. Like you don't get too many moments where someone just has to sit down and explain here is all the backstory that's happening. Like I feel like it's a very smart, it, there's a very smart way that this movie goes about telling its story that feels very natural. And it dive, it, it ends up giving out information that feels very authentic to how these characters would just pick up this information within the context of the story. And I think that makes all of its exploration that much more powerful because it feels so natural within the overall structure that it's being built for itself. Totally agree, Josh. This locks itself into a child's eye view early on, and it doesn't really ever deviate from that. Everything is presented through Robin and or Maeve's eyes. And I think that helps it a lot because it allows the subtext of a lot of things to be read by adults. And even though children may not fully comprehend that subtext, they're they're going to notice it and internalize it in a way. You know, I have to say, um, I agree. The craftsmanship here is so strong, both within like the artwork of the visuals and the types of um, miss and sin that we get. Uh, 
like there's so much uh, there, there's so much story told just through shots of what we would consider cinematography with with characters and how they're framed and um, uh, symbolism. Um, but also the narrative is so, um, again, not to sound trite, but it's very unique. And the way that it paints um, the two main characters specifically is very smart um, from a writer's standpoint. Um, and it allows for um, our it allows for our sympathies to kind of bounce around uh, as the characters go through these whirlwind um loopholes of journeys you know one of the things that you mentioned before ryan in your opening thoughts and something that really 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 stood out to me while watching this movie is that this movie has maybe one of the single best climaxes of any movie i have ever seen um and the reason why i say this is because the climax of this movie I swear to God, I think it lasts for over a half an hour and it just keeps building and building and building in its emotional stakes. This character's turning into a wolf. This one's getting an arrow uh, thrown at it. This one's about to shoot this one. And it is just constantly, constantly holding you in its grip because we don't know if we're about to get a happy ending or a tragic ending, because this movie has just done such an amazing job up to that point of enveloping us so much into this story and getting us to care about these characters that I, and I, and like I was mentioning before in terms of it being a movie, both for kids and for adults, you don't know necessarily how far they're going to push the envelope then in, in terms of its violence, its darkness. And if we are, you know, heading in for, uh, some form of tragedy and the way that this movie just guides through that in its final 30 minutes had me on the edge of my seat. Unlike most movies I've seen this year, lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office more than once. Actually, do I have to say, yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Okay, my mother kept being like, no, no, it's going to have a happy ending, right? It's going to have a happy ending. I'm like, mom, I haven't watched it before. I don't know. Like, <laughs> but it was the entire time I was like, oh my God, no, they're not going to, they're not, that can't happen. That, hold on. And uh, they really had me thinking that they were going to make it like a tragic ending up until, you know, I, I was really caught up in it. And like you said, on the edge of my seat in a way that. I don't think I have been, but for a couple of like live action films this year. It was really that climax. It's like, I think there were three times, three separate times that I was like, oh no, they're not going to kill that character off, are they? And like for a, for a kid's movie to make me genuinely question that. Seriously. I almost had like Lion King vibes at one point um, in, the, um, in the finale. Um, where they're um, with one of the characters um, in terms of the emotional impact of something that happened. I literally texted Nicole and I was like, oh my God, is this really happening? Like, um, and I think that the, 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 the climax itself is enough for the film to even go up a whole other number in our rating system. 
Like it's so powerful and so like uh, just full of life. And um, like, you know, it, it does this great thing. Like whenever screenplays are so good and they set everything up so well, everything just kind of falls into place. And it, like, and that's kind of what happened here. And it was just like, it created the greatest climax uh, of, of, of this story that could have been told. I also think that it's very telling that we keep comparing it to sort of uh, the best of Disney films during that time period when they were really, you know, in the 90s when they were making kind of top tier content like The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. Actually, uh, Nicole, I'm going to actually just chime in really quick and I'm going to add to that really fast. The movie that I found myself comparing it to the most from that era was actually Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, me too, especially in the climax. And especially in how they're not afraid to like go really in on adult themes. And I feel like that's such a testament to how great this film is, that those are the sort of films that it's bringing up. Um, because I kind of consider those to be sort of the peak of animated film. And I definitely think it's up there in, in you know, both its style and its storytelling. It's also well, at times and- the best version possible of what Pocahontas wanted to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, oh, my God, mother yes. kept referring oh, to Oliver Cromwell as Radcliffe. And I was like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <essentially."> yeah. <laughs> you know, it is like when you look at the animation, his style is eerily similar. Yep. <laughs> you know, Matt, I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, whenever I was little, and this kind of uh, goes back to what we were saying a few minutes earlier um, about how um, brutal the film is and its, um, its depiction of the events that happen. I was like, whenever I was a little kid, I was almost afraid to watch watch the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like I always avoided it whenever I was going through my VHS collection. Um, and I feel like had I watched this film as a little kid, I think I would have loved it. But I also think I would have been afraid of it and had a similar reaction that I had to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Hmm. So I'm interested to see how like younger kids respond to this film. Well, they're definitely not going to get the uh, religious uh, persecution for pagan beliefs aspect. I can assure you of that. <laughs> you didn't know me as a kid, There's still something <laughs> scary about I, this. I, mean, I don't know. Like, Cromwell I'm, does die asking his lord to save him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, I would be very comfortable showing, like, my seven-year-old uh, cousin this film, but I don't know that I would show it to the four-year-old. Like, I do think it's maybe for a slightly older child audience because there are a handful of scenes that I could see being legitimately frightening to a child, whereas, you know, compared to some of the other animated films from this year, like Over the Moon or something like that, where I'd be like, yeah, whatever, you can show it to a kid of any age. I do think that for a child to appreciate it and not potentially have some issues afterwards, (laughs) they would need to be a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, like, the kitty horror aspects of it are part of what I think will make this endure a lot longer than your Over the Moons of the world, you know, because it does sort of have that kids will keep coming back to it because it was the thing that scared them and they want to, you know, outgrow it and prove that they're older. And then they're going to realize like, Oh, like there is more going on here than I realized when I was young and first saw this. I mean, like those are all the movies that like, you know, those are the things that you watched over and over again when you were young, right? Were the things that had at least one scene that scared you. Like there was always one of those, I feel like in every one of the, of the Disney Renaissance movies. There was at least one scene that was like nightmare fuel. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I will say like, I don't to any parents listening. I don't think this is the kind of movie that you can just like throw on and like walk away from. (laughs) Yeah, no. I would watch this with your child. I would like to highlight some of the voice acting in this um, because, you know, from my point of view here, uh, honor uh, Nevesi, uh, gives one of my favorite voice performances of the year is Robin Goodfellow. And of course, I love Sean Bean reprising his role as Ned Stark. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh my God, how can you not? <laughs> and but but I but I do have to just say for the record, like I understand why you would cast Simon McBurney as Oliver Cromwell, the Lord Protector, because he has one of the most menacing voices in general, like in life. But I really, really did not find his overall vocal performance to be that compelling, especially compared to something like, um, 
and I and I and I was doing inevitable comparisons, like I was mentioning before, to someone like Frollo in uh, *Hunchback of Notre Dame*, which I thought was a very dynamic vocal performance that had um, such menace, but also uh, you know cunning and was also very charismatic at the same time. And I, I just wasn't feeling that from McBurney in this, but uh, Sean Bean and Honor uh, Nevesi really, really delivered for me on this one, of, uh, and along with the rest of the voice cast. Now, Matt, that's interesting to me because I actually did really like Simon McBurney in this role. And I think the reason is because that character, I don't think that character sometimes is as fully fleshed out as maybe I wanted him to be. And I think there's a part of that that is intentional because we talk to the perspective of this movie and that if you're seeing this from a childlike point of view, they're not going to necessarily understand all of the kind of nuanced political and religious motivations happening within that character. And while I understand that, I felt that it meant that his kind of overall menacing impact as a character was a little lessened for me, but I got that gravity from his performance and he felt like a very imposing figure on this community so that even though I felt like some of that was missing from sort of the writing slash character perspective, I thought that he brought it with his actual voice performance. And I, I really did appreciate what he was doing. Yeah. It's not a typical, um, child or family film, uh, villain performance and that it is not overly hammy and mm-hmm. over the top, which I think is, I think that's totally appropriate because like the guy is a politician basically when it comes down to it. Maybe my own nostalgia event of animated films is getting in the way because I'm expecting a certain, uh, a a certain quality, if you will, like you're saying, Dan. Yeah. Like he's not Jeremy Irons doing scar. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's not that kind of, it's, it's not even, um, Oh God. Uh, who is it? Who did Frollo? Oh, I used to know Tony J. I believe is his name. Tony J. Yeah. Yeah, Tony J. Like it's not even that. It and it I think like that's the closest to any of those villains that that he comes to. But like it it's all very it's all very subtle and sort of underplayed, but in a way that almost makes him creepier, I thought. Mm-hmm. I also think that it really speaks to the fact that like in the opening of this film, we're kind of set up to think that in a way that the villain is going to be one thing. And Particularly, like, because we kind of spend so much time with Robin, at first it's like, oh, well, here's these wolves and they're, you know, we've got to conquer them and vanquish them and whatever. And then the fact that it's like, oh, no, wait, this is the villain. And it is kind of subtle. And he is restrained in a way. But that restraint almost makes him scarier, I think. Um, I also think in some ways, like, that is something that I do think sometimes children respond to in a way, because like that sort of like, Oh, well, if you don't do this, then here's a consequence. It's the kind of thing that they hear in real life. And so it has a sort of gravity to it. So like that authority figure type, you mean? Right. Exactly. Like, you know, there's a point where he tells, uh, Bill, Robin's father, you know, if you don't get rid of the wolves, then this will occur. And I feel like there's probably a lot of kids who are used to hearing that from a teacher, used to hearing that from a parent. He comes across as a very real authority figure. And I think that that is very effective in a lot of ways. And I also think it's a very interesting choice to make your villain an actual historical figure. And they actually do like a pretty good job. Like I think a kid who watched this and then ended up in history class years later would be like, oh yeah, Oliver Cromwell. Like they they bring across him and his ideas pretty decently. Of course, then they also do something very bold with it, which I think is fascinating. And and it makes it even seem more like a, a bit of mythology and playing into sort of this idea of Celtic myth. But I think that the fact that he sort of represents this oppressive, strict, stern thing rather than being like a campy fun villain is actually pretty important narratively. Well, I didn't want him to be campy fun. I just wanted him to maybe just have a little bit more, uh, I don't know, imposing menace. I'll, 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 I'll leave it at that. It just like to me, it just felt like Simon McBurney was being Simon McBurney, like I said, which is why you hire him. But I didn't get the sense of like a, a performance so much. Uh, but that's okay. Moving away from that, 
Uh, I also failed to mention Eva Whit- uh, Whitaker as as May. That is my favorite vocal yeah. performance yeah, in the film. I, I love how like she is. She is clearly having so much fun, and like who wouldn't have fun being this character? Honestly, but like she she gets herself to sound like almost feral in a way that you wouldn't expect a child actor to just be able to like do. I mean, she genuinely sounds at times like she has just not lived in civilization, that she has just been really spending all of her time out in the woods with these wolves. And I just love her little, you know, like, we're going to get you, Townie. And <laughs> the, the constant, um, I got my wolves after you and they're going to eat ya. And then I was it, legitimately terrified. Yeah. <laughs> It is. And then there's a point where she does actually call the wolves near the end of the movie. And you're like, oh, shit. Now now the wolves actually are going to eat these people. Like, you believe her when she says it. <laughs> this is a little uh, a little off topic. But did anybody else get the vibes from the group of boys in the village? Like, I got such like a wind of like toxic energy um, that was like that really speaks to the film's overall attention to detail and texture. And like, you know, I think the film's feminism is um, it has a very specific prism that it's looking at um, with its feminism. And I think it's really effective. I agree. And I also think that one of the other like one of my other favorite interactions in town is whenever um, Robin gets sent to the scullery to work in the kitchens. Oh, yeah. And that old lady is like, oh, don't worry. I've been here since I was younger than you. Yeah. As though that's thing. And Robin's like oh my God, I have to get out of here. And I think that like, it's such a a subtle, but such a good way to sort of tie in this whole idea of Robin wanting to go against sort of her gender role for the time Mm -hmm. without beating it over the head. Like they never have to be like, oh, you're a girl. You need to, you know, go to the kitchen. They don't have to like throw it out there that obviously. It's just implied in all these different lines and i thought that that was so well done and the best line of the movie at least, at least my favorite which i texted nicole in all caps after um it, it happened was but i'm already in a cage yeah uh, that was really good another because you know what it is you have this like emotionally vulnerable moment where bill does admit something to his daughter that's hard for any parent to tell uh their child and then it's a double whammy of left hook, right hook, then from Robin to her father, and bam, KO, knockout. We have been hit hard emotionally by that moment, you know? And it's, again, like, that line is so fantastically layered. Like, you can take that to be a metaphor about, like, practically anything, you know, about, you know, the overprotective parent or about, you know, just being a woman in this world, being young. Or I, I didn't even realize this until, what uh, honestly, a friend pointed it out to me. And then I, on second rewatch, I was like, oh my God, yes. The the gay metaphor is all over this movie. Yeah. And yep. especially <laughs> that line. And I was just, I was so... I was so moved by it the second time through. It's so emotional. Like I, yeah. I, I saw. I, I figured. I figured that. Out. I figured like the gay uh, LGBT um, type allegory uh, around around like a half hour, and from that point on, like I couldn't stop seeing it. Yeah, I did not. It it was like I guess like maybe just like slightly on my radar the first time I saw it. Like you know, like how you can read a gay metaphor into just about anything these days. But like, I it wasn't at the forefront of my mind and then um someone someone had mentioned it and the second time through it was all i could see (laughs) this thing is so well constructed on every level that you can look at it through so many different lenses and it is still so rich and i just like why can't more films be like this Speaking of that construction, if we can pivot again a little bit to just how breathtaking the animation is, and I don't mean just visually, I was struck watching this that, again, I mentioned that it makes other anime movies look bad, not just because it is so gorgeous, but also because it uses the possibilities of animation as a medium to their fullest extent in a way that makes other movies look lazy. Because 
it not only changes, like I mentioned, the style to indicate a violent moment or a stressful moment, but it also changes its general style given the emotional or kind of uh, the style of the characters in the moment of the story. Like it'll go from uh, a, a full letterbox to a smaller screen or it'll go to a, a three panel split screen or the angle of the camera will change. Um, I also was really, really impressed by the way that the wolves were drawn in that they kept the rough lines of a earlier animation stage. And if you watch animation demos or pre-production videos of any Uh, animated movie, you can see these, especially mm -hmm. hand-drawn. And in this movie, they left them in, which just really contributes to the feral quality of these characters. And it really distinguishes them from the town people. And again, I don't know why more animated movies don't use this. It's literally something that you can control completely the style of filmmaking and a lot of animated movies just waste that potential. The last time I saw a movie that used animation this well to convey what a character is going through was back in 2014 with the tale of princess Kaguya, where the style would change similarly to this based on the main character's circumstances or emotions. And it was just really refreshing to see that kind of animation used again. Also, can you talk about uh, how it like changes um, whenever she shifts into being a wolf and we see her seeing her other senses oh. like whenever oh we can God. see so the scents and like the sounds and stuff like that it is the coolest thing the point of view animation is it's, insane it's absolutely insane I, I truly sat there being like i didn't realize a movie could do this I mean, three entirely separate animation styles throughout this whole movie because you have everything that takes place in town is like very you know blocky like almost like wood block angular right? style yeah. and then the woods is all like watercolors and curves and swirls like you know like and then this added like sort of i like this wolf vision basically yeah that is this charcoal almost style and it's it, it's a it's a bit of a leap you know for for an audience to sort of go with a film you know down this hard stylistic route. The wolf vision stuff is like truly breathtaking. Like that, that is really the moment where I truly fell in love with the movie because yeah, it is this like very big leap, as you said, Dan. And what's so great about it is the movie doesn't ever really like hold your hand when you go into those sequences. It kind of just makes it, makes an argument that you're supposed to just sort of understand what's happening. And because the storytelling is so strong, you immediately do. And then you're also so appreciative of the artistry that is going on in those sequences. And it is like, those moments are truly like some of the most memorable, well-constructed sequences in any movie that I have seen this year. It also helps too, when you have a very catchy song to accompany your newfound (laughs) powers as a wolf walker. (laughs) Yeah, truly. And but really, though, like the thing that is amazing about the shift into those scenes is that it is all done through visual storytelling mm-hmm. at first. It, like when it first happens, it is not until later that it is sort of explained that that's what it is. But by that point, you really already know. Exactly. Because, yeah. Like Josh was saying, the visual storytelling is so strong. They don't need to go like, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing smells now. I mentioned the song before, and I do want to use that as a jumping off point to talk about the score and the music in this movie, because I think that there is such an opportunity here uh, to utilize the time period and its mythical fairy tale like storytelling to really give us something that sounds different and, you know, really is able to give this movie vibrancy and i really think it achieves in doing exactly that uh what, what did you guys think of uh, the music in this movie in love truly i think it's one of the great scores of this yeah. year i i absolutely love how unique this score sounds for not only this time period but just also to how it speaks to the emotion of these characters and i am truly in love with every bit of the score to this film I was reminded a bit of the score for How to Train Your Dragon in that it sounds recognizably of a particular... It doesn't fully use the traditional um, instruments and melodies of that 
area, except only very sparingly. Mm-hmm. And I love that it sort of got that Celtic feel without always re- resorting to these things that are, you know, traditionally Celtic. Only in they chose those moments, and I think they did it really well. I think it's really clever in that the score feels so, like this is going to sound funny, but the score feels the same amount of Celtic as the animation feels. Like it feels like they did a very good job of sort of matching where it borrows from sort of a Celtic tradition versus where it is more original and modern. But again, I think it it does a really good job at immersing you into this world. And I also think it's one of those scores that does a very good job at helping make sure that you know what you're supposed to be feeling emotionally uh, at any point in the movie. Yeah, it does a better job of transporting than something like uh, Brave was another one I was struck by, which Mm. I think is more in kind of the music than the visuals transportive, whereas this is totally in harmony with what we're seeing visually. Yeah, I really love that, what you said there, Nicole. That was really nice. Thank you. I also have to say, I am obsessed with that song. (laughs) Uh, Literally, I mean, Dan knows, I texted him, like, I'm 26, but my sister and I jumped up and we're literally like running around singing it, um, howling while it was going on because it does such a good job at getting you as hyped up as the characters are feeling at that point. Like there's something about it. I don't know. It made me start to feel a little bit feral. Like <laughs> I, I think it, and you know, it's not a, a movie that has a lot of, of music in it but the way that it uses that music is so smart and so effective that like i mean that is one of my favorite uses of a song in a movie all year yeah i haven't seen everything that's come out this year but you know two weeks before the end of the year this is the first actual contender song that i would actually want to see in the race Except it's not an original song. I was about to burst your bubble about Unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, yep. not. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Um, it is uh, an ar- a recording artist called Aurora put it out on an album, I think, a year or two ago. And she, you may recognize her name because she was the voice um, that Adina Menzel duets with <gasps> on Into the Unknown from yep. Frozen 2. It is so frustrating to me that all of my favorite uses of music this year have been... Uh, things that are not original songs that are thus not eligible. I was say and, the same yes, thing. I'm talking about promising young woman. And <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I'm bummed now. <laughs> but the end credit song uh, that plays at the end of the movie, though, that is eligible. So this is actually, I think, a good. Uh, transition point maybe over to final thoughts and Oscar potential for this movie so I'm going to kick it over to Ryan first Ryan is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up you know we just hit the song so I'm good (laughs) okay all right Uh, let's hear from Josh so I do want to just briefly mention the one element of the movie that I'm not the biggest fan of and I should say overall I really really do love this movie but the one thing that I, I did find myself thinking like, eh, I'm not so much into that is the stuff with the the character of the father that's voiced by Sean Bean. If only because I felt like the scene of him saying how like disappointed he was in his daughter and wanting to protect her from everything like happened like five times in the movie and it got just a little repetitive. I 100% agree with you, Josh. I was like, how many scenes am I going to, am I going to hear Sean Bean being like, Robin, no. <laughs> just like Robin, Robin agrees with you too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, it's not enough to break the movie, but after like the third scene of them saying basically the same thing, I was sort of like, okay, I, I get it. He's the concerned father looking out for his kid and they're at odds. And I kind of know where the relationship is probably going to go. So I don't need this to be reiterated so many times, but it was like the one false note in the story that I really didn't jive with, but everything else in it, I thought was really, really well done. Uh, Let's hear next from Cody. Uh, Josh, you kind of stole my one critique. Yeah, I, I, it was almost comical the fifth or sixth time yeah. that the Lord Protector was like, I think he literally said something like, what's wrong with you <laughs> to the Sean Bean character? Because it's like, yeah, he hasn't done a damn thing right at his job at this movie. Um, but otherwise, yeah, not much to complain about here. It's like I said, the animation, more movies should take notes from this movie. 
All right. Nicole. Uh, two things. One is there is a line in this movie that I wrote it down. I want to like get it on a poster, maybe even a tattoo. I don't know. But it's do not fear wild girls, which I think is such a good example of like how nicely this film handles feminism and in a way that also doesn't feel like horrifically anachronistic for the time period that it's set in. But I just like I love that line so much. Um, also, I'm trying to make them do this. I don't care if Apple TV does it. I don't care if Cartoon Saloon uh, does it. Uh, I need stuffed animals for these wolves because when Maeve turns into a wolf, that was the cutest single thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I need it. (laughs) (laughs) So if, if the powers that be are listening, please make it happen. But genuinely, like, whenever the two girls are turned into wolves, it is the cutest thing maybe ever. And I will be thinking about that forever. <laughs> so because of that, Nicole, Tim Cook is going to release an app instead of a stuffed animal for you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get your own wolf, uh, which you can carry with you in your pocket on your phone. I mean, I would like to be turned into a wolf. Is that a thing that this app can do? Like- <laughs> when, you turn on your, when you turn on your camera on your iPhone, you'll have wolf vision as, yeah. a, okay, as a filter mode. Like, I, I do want that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if they want to talk about, like, you know, franchising and and, uh, merchandising, come to me. I've got ideas. (laughs) I did see on their website they have a a puzzle. I might be ordering it. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Dan, any final thoughts? I there are a few things about this animation that I just really, really love, particularly just the faces of the wolves. Yes. Are there is just something that is like so. It, they're so wonderfully elastic, but they always look the same. But like they can go from being really menacing to being incredibly like goofy, cute on the turn of a dime. And I'm just obsessed with their faces. I make try to make that face all the time when I look at them. And I also love how they when they run as a pack, they kind of become this one giant solid mass. And how that is sort of mirrored in the animation of Mabe's red hair that kind of like floats behind her like it's another wolf character. I, <laughs> There's, this movie does so many things stylistically. It shifts aspect ratios. It does split screens. Like, I... I, I uh, I'm just so like the ambition of doing all these things and making them work within this style. And they, they're not just something that they, you know, that the film tries on for a few seconds or a scene and then abandons like they're motifs that are brought up again and again. And it's just so, so well done and well thought out. Um, and also I laughed maybe the loudest when um, at one point, Oliver Cromwell uh, calls Merlin foul bird because I, I'm a whore for good puns. <laughs> I uh, noticed that too, Dan. <laughs> it really just, it really got me. Um, it's so charming and so much fun. And I, I do think the first act is a, a little slow. Like it doesn't really come alive until she, until Robin also becomes a wolf, but even before that, it's the you know the table setting for the story is so smart and so well done. That uh. Uh, final thoughts, very very quick here. Uh, Mabe's hair, big red hair, freaking awesome! What a great character design. Reminded me of that character from Street Fighter that I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I know you're talking about Matt. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, my favorite uh, moment of comedy in this film. Uh, between Robin and Bill where uh, she says, promise me you won't get mad at me. And he says, go on. You didn't promise. I know. Go on. (laughs) I love that so, so much. And other than that, uh, we pretty much touched upon everything here. So, Nicole, great out of 10. I actually, and this is only my second one of the year, I'm giving it a 10. I think this is the (gasps) peak of what animated film can be. I think it's it's one of my top three movies of the year i think it is absolutely gorgeous i have no issues with it at all i think it is my favorite animated film to come out since tangled and i i think it is in many ways a perfect movie 
Nicole, I literally did a fist pump in the air just because I'm so happy that you loved it so much. <laughs> well, Josh, where does it uh, where does the love extend for you? What's the grade out of ten? Uh, I am a very strong eight out of ten for this one. There's like a couple things in the story that I think could be a little stronger for me, but like. An 8 out of 10 is still, to me, like one of the best films of the year, and I think that it's truly just an astounding achievement that I can't recommend highly enough. Ryan, what about you? I'm also with Josh at an 8. There was a, there was a hot second when I was watching the finale um, that I was a 9, but I, I, I'm settling with an 8. I'm being more conservative in my ratings. Dan Baer? I am at a nine for this. It is one of easily one of the best films of the year. It's not quite perfect, but it's damn close. Cody? I'm also, with the other boys, a very, very, very strong eight out of ten. And I am going to join that group as well. I, too, am at an eight out of ten, one of the best films of the year, like Josh said. With that said... Oscar potential for Wolf Walkers. I think we can all agree here in unison that this is going to be nominated for Best Animated Feature Film. The question on my mind is, can one of the original songs, or one? I, d- I don't know how many they are submitting. Uh, can one of those also get in? Because we know it's not going to be Running With The Wolves. I'll, I'll say this. I think if the song does then we have a race for animated feature between this and soul. I don't know, though, because animated movies can get craft nominations, especially in music, and it not mean anything. I mean, like, it happened with Isle of Dogs. It happened uh, Kubo got a visual effects nomination. Like, it doesn't always guarantee, like, more support than you think it does. Oh, and I had a song. You know, it, it happens. Right, but song is, like, a specifically... Like, that's a very Disney way to win the animated feature Oscar. (laughs) Like, it portends. I am, though, of the belief in Call Me Crazy, and some of you already have. I actually have this beating soul right now as of today. You're crazy. Yeah, Matt, I'm going to throw some stats out with you because I prepared (laughs) my homework. I I do think that if anything is going to beat soul, it's this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, Academy members, for better or for worse, not always for worse, but, you know, they do default. I mean, it happened last year of the there's only been three times where Pixar was nominated and didn't win Um, the last. Also, in addition to that, it's not just the Pixar at all. It's also the fact that it's hand drawn. There is a bias with that. The last time something won that wasn't predominantly CGI was all the way back in 2005, Wallace and Gromit. And the last time there was an animated film that was hand drawn. And it's the only hand drawn winner was spirited away. Only the second time that this category has been presented. Yeah. And also when you talk about that 2005 lineup, there were no CGI movies, not exactly. In that yeah. Lineup. So they had no the choice. Last time that happened. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm creating the illusion of a race when there really is none. I mean, I we'll see. Either. I mean, just the fact that people are considering Soul for Best Picture nomination, I, I it's it's going to be hard to overcome. I mean, look, if somehow this made it into, you know, song and or score and or original screenplay, which I think none of them are completely out of the question. I think it's legitimately in the race for all of those, but they're kind of long shots um, outside of animated feature. But if those things happen, (laughs) if those things happen, then like, Hey, we have a real race in this category kids. And isn't that exciting? But here's the thing though. I, I could see a world where, Wolf Walkers wins BAFTA, the Globe, the Annie Award, and heading into Oscar night, I know, I understand that Soul will have had... Klaus! I know, I understand Soul will have Critics' Choice, PGA, probably Ace Eddie, but, like, at the same time, I, I do feel it could be a nail-biter heading into the evening if it splits the uh, precursors like that. I really what do. What you're saying is basically what happened to Klaus, and the Annie's yeah. just don't count. Yeah, they, yeah. they have a long-standing Pixar. But don't you feel like this year, because there are less animated films, and Wolfwalkers has gotten this platform release starting at TIFF, and it's built, it's, it, it's built up in Steam. And I don't know about you guys, but there are people who have seen Soul, 
And the general buzz that I'm sensing right now is that there's more passion behind Wolf Walkers than there is with Soul, where a lot of people like the Soul. They happened last year. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I get it. This is yeah. Toy Story Four. You, this sounds like a Toy I Story. I mean, 4. I do, I do totally see where you're coming from, Matt, because I do agree with you that I think there is maybe more passion for Wolf Walkers and Soul from people who have seen both. But I also feel like betting against Pixar. Is, is like invading <laughs> Russia in the winter. Like, and, <laughs> and all this talk of uh, other awards that Wolfwalkers could get. Right now, Soul is probably winning best score and could get a, it's almost definitely going to get a screenplay nomination. So it's kind of yep. a moot point, honestly. And yeah. when Soul drops on Disney Plus at Christmas, that's going to be the movie that most people are going to be yeah. talking about. Like, the one thing that Wolfwalkers does have going for it, though, is that it is becoming, like, the clear alternative, and you do need at least, like, you need that one movie for people to say, like, hey, if you don't want to vote for this, vote for this other movie. But okay. that works when people don't really like the other movie. And, and even if do you do like prefer, yeah. yeah, even if you do prefer Wolfwalkers, you still think Soul's a good movie. And I don't think right. that's enough to derail that momentum for Soul. Yeah, this isn't like when Cars was beaten by Happy Feet. You know, this is yeah. going to be two, which are, you know, two abominations. This is going to be two. <laughs> yeah. Incredibles 2. Like right, which like Incredibles that. 2 yeah. people liked, but it was like, you know, Spider-Man was building steam. And then that became... Not a surprise by Oscar Knight. I'm I'm sorry. I love the movie, but I really have trouble seeing Wolfwalkers winning this category. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think part of it is, you know, like it Cartoon Saloon has been doing great work, but they're, you know, people love they respect their artistry, but they don't like love the movies. It's not something that most of their kids are interested in. You know, they're the kids don't go for this type of style anymore unless it's a, you know, cartoon network thing yeah and unfortunately they've lost money on every single movie they made so like yeah. it's it's and not like, like there's it's not like Leica or something like that where there's you know support from uh an audience even though Leica is also not you know very financially I mean, yeah they're viable. Not money <laughs> yeah. I know. but i was just surprised i went back and looked at the budgets and the box office of their last three movies and they usually make half their budget it's a real shame which is a good thing in this case because like apple tv you know can just subsidize that i guess so no worries there yeah but also like the thing is like <laughs> come on it's apple tv plus like do we really think this is going to be a big player at the oscars come on now if they do surprise and win i will be thrilled and my neighbors will right. be like what so the happy. hell because i will be literally howling uh so sorry to my neighbors now if that does happen but i do think we have to assume this belongs to and soul I'll change my tune if there starts to be like a Spider-Man run where it like wins the globe in a surprise, wins BAFTA, and then it becomes inevitable. But it will need to pick up practically every award for me to change my tune. To me, it needs to win the PGA. Like, I will yeah. not change my mind until mm -hmm. it wins that. Yeah. I actually like it to, um, to Dan's point, I think he just about Apple TV. I was like, I was thinking to myself, hmm, Apple TV will have a very safe nomination. Good for them. They did good. They finally did good. <laughs> yeah. And I can't wait to tell you all, I told you so. <laughs> I, look, nothing would make me happier, Matt. Yeah, we all nothing. like the movie. <laughs> I yeah. hope that you get to. You will all yeah. think that I am clairvoyant. Okay. <laughs> I swear. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was right about Promising Young Woman. I was right about Wolf Walkers. <laughs> and let me just say that as somebody who has seen both Wolf Walkers and Soul, I would prefer Wolf Walkers to win. Oh, Same. I'm sure. Like, I'm, sh I'm sure. Like, but I just, you know, I, 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 why set up, you know, false expectations that will only oh, yeah. disappoint us? I don't know if it is yet. I, I think it's early enough that it isn't quite yet. To, to, to everyone else's point, if Soul starts winning those big awards, then yeah, it's over, totally. But I, I do think we should leave the avenue open for a surprise to Josh's point because Wolf Walkers is clearly the strong number two and when you have a number one and a number two and everybody else is just happy to be nominated let's see how those awards divvy up before we call anything you know all right so let's talk about this again after christmas day weekend and everyone in the world watches soul if those reactions aren't oh my god i love this movie then we can talk about wolf walkers potentially winning 
but because we know that everyone and their mother is going to watch this we're is going to watch soul the question is are they going to also watch wolf walkers yeah and i don't think they do unless they're like well i didn't really like soul i guess i gotta look at what the other one is it's a good point it's a good point all right well that'll do it here for wolf walkers on the next best picture podcast nicole where can they find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16 Ryan C. Showers. You can find me on Twitter at RCS818. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. Dan Baer. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And Josh Parham. And you can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, our review of Wolf Walkers. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. If you're feeling generous, leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, and if you want to take that generosity one step further, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.